We are in Philippians chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 12 through 21. I want to encourage you to follow along in your scriptures. Tim Keller has a helpful illustration to picture how Christians often respond by taking for granted the gift of God's salvation. He writes, Imagine an eight-year-old boy playing with his favorite truck, and then it breaks. He's devastated. He's he's broken-hearted, and the tears begin to roll. And he turns to his father, and he says, Fix it, Dad. And as the child cries, his father says to him, Son, A distant relative that you've never met has died, and he's left you $100 million. How does a child respond to that? Does that solve his problem of the broken truck? Um, Do those words bring him comfort? Is that information going to fix the truck? Likely he's going to cry even louder because he needs his truck fixed. But he doesn't really have the cognitive capacity to realize his true situation. But you know, the same is sometimes true for we who call ourselves Christ followers. We do not have the spiritual capacity to recognize that our distant relative is Jesus and because of his death, he has left us an amazing, unimaginable inheritance. And it's so hard for us to grasp the depth and the breadth and the height and the length of God's great salvation, his wonderful gift to us. We are more like the eight-year-old boy whose happiness rests on his immediate circumstances. And we're going to see in our passage today how the Apostle Paul, facing difficult circumstances, rises above those circumstances. Um, God placed Paul in a difficult place, and yet Paul's going to be okay with that. He's going to be okay. Why is that? Well, let's look at our uh, passage today. It's because he knew that God uses difficult circumstances to advance his purposes. God uses our difficult circumstances to advance his purposes. Well, what were his circumstances? Well, for starters, Paul was being held as a prisoner. Now, we talked about that a little bit last week when we introduced the book. Uh, So let's look at uh, Philippians 1 and verse 12. And, And Paul writes to the Philippian church, to the believers there, Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. So what's happened to Paul? Well, I want to take a couple of minutes and retrace some of his steps along the way. And um, the interesting thing about what happened to Paul is one-fourth of the book of Acts. From Acts 21 to Acts 28, 
Paul is set aside in his ministry to advance the gospel, at least the way he hoped it would go and the way he anticipated it might go. So, um, in 58 AD, the Apostle Paul was arrested. And I'm going to read, just, you know, you can listen to this, uh, what happened in Acts chapter 21. In Acts uh, chapter 21, I'm going to read 27 through 32, Paul was in Jerusalem, and he had just gone up to the temple, so he's right there, and he's taken a couple of his friends with him, and they have made a vow to be carried out over a seven-day period. So here's what happens in verse 27. When the seven days were nearly over, some Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul at the temple. They stirred up the whole crowd and seized him, shouting, fellow Israelites, help us. This man who teaches everyone everywhere against our people and our law and this place, referring to the temple. And besides, he has brought Greeks into the temple and defiled this holy place. They previously had, they had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, in the city with Paul and assumed that Paul had brought him into the temple. But that wasn't true. The whole city was aroused and the people came running from all directions. Seizing Paul, they dragged him from the temple and immediately the gates were shut at the temple. While they were trying to kill him, news reached the commander of of the Roman troops, that the whole city of Jerusalem was in an uproar. He at once took some officers and soldiers and ran down to the crowd. And when the rioters saw the commander and his soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Paul got a break. They just stopped beating him because a Roman uh, commander showed up with troops. Now that's kind of a, you know, a hard start to this. And so Paul is uh, put under uh, supervision of the Romans. And he's actually uh, going to be, he's actually arrested. arrested. Um, now just, uh, let me just remind you, if this, some of this is kind of new to you. Remember that Paul was a Jewish man who had a radical conversion to Christ. He used to be an enemy of the church and hated the church and believed what the church was doing in advancing the gospel was blasphemous. But now Paul is a Christ follower. And now the Jewish people in Jerusalem see Paul as the heretic. And they get so angry with what Paul has been doing. And so he's arrested because of this uproar in the city of Jerusalem. And then from 58 to 60 AD, Paul is confined. He's confined at Caesarea. Uh, and so because the uproar continued, and later in Jerusalem, 40 men made a pact that they weren't going to eat until they had executed Paul. And so the Romans... Uh, took him away to Caesarea to a stronger fort to keep Paul safe so he could face some kind of a trial. There in Caesarea, he appeared before uh, Felix, the Roman governor. Then he appeared before Festus, 
Look at uh, Acts chapter 24, verse uh, 27. When two years had passed, so Paul's stuck. He's set aside for two years. He no longer has freedom to move about and to do the things that he wants to do. When two years had passed, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus, so that he's the next governor. But because Felix wanted to grant a favor to the Jews, political, he left Paul in prison. Two years have passed. Paul is still in prison. He's not been released. And they can't find anything really, the Romans can't, anything to um, say that Paul is guilty. So, in 60 AD, from 60 to 61, they traveled to Rome. Now, this is going to be a several-month process because Paul has appealed to Caesar, and he must go to Rome to appear before Caesar. And they are in Israel. This is going to be a 2,000-mile-plus trip, and it's going to take a few months, okay? And uh, I think we have a map for that. One per day, okay? So look at, look at Jerusalem down the lower right. They take him up to Caesarea on the coast where the Romans have a strong fortress, a strong presence there. And then they, they take out. And the book of Acts traces this from about Acts 22 uh, all the way through 27 coming to 28. That's Paul's life. He's confined. And then it continues from 61 to 63 AD in Rome. Five years now, Paul has had his freedom taken away. And he's been imprisoned. Um, he, he really is in the prime of his ministry years. He's, he's in his prime as a leader and as a teacher and as an evangelist. And this is where God places him. And we come to the very end of the book of Acts. Acts chapter 28, verses 30 and 31. For two whole years. Two more years. Paul stayed there in Rome in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him because he had a lot of visitors from, from the, throughout the Roman Empire. The Jewish leaders of the city who saw Paul as a threat and a heretic came to see him. Paul got to talk about Jesus and how he had come to faith in Christ. And there were church leaders from around the Roman Empire that came to visit Paul. Verse 31, he proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance for two years. But he was a prisoner. Yes, he had his own quarters. That's got to be better than a dungeon. But he was chained to a Roman soldier because that's how they did it. And the Roman soldiers of the day rotated every six hours. A new soldier came to be with Paul. Imagine that, even for bathroom breaks. Four guys a day. What do you think Paul talked about for two years. Well, what was God's purpose in all of this? God's purpose was to advance the gospel. 
And then God's purpose was to put uh, Christ's servant, Paul, on display. We see this in verse 13. Um, Paul's message and Paul's reputation was broadcasted widely through this two-year period. God used it to advance his kingdom and to put his servant on display, a choice servant of Christ. Look at verse 13. As a result, it has become clear through the whole palace guard or the praetorian guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. He's in chains, he's a prisoner, and it's for Christ. That's why he's there. And that's where Christ wants him. The whole palace guard, these were the elite Roman troops. These were Caesar's elite troops. And Paul was uh, chained to these Roman soldiers. Um, So Paul's chained 24-7. Four different soldiers rotate through. And Paul gets to share his faith story to them. Paul shares his faith story to everybody who comes to visit him. Paul gets to talk about Jesus. He gets to talk about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and what that means. And Paul gets to defend his faith because he has people who come to argue with him and he defends the gospel. Paul gets to talk directly to some of those soldiers and they get to hear and they, they get to watch Paul. They get to see Paul respond. And one by one, soldiers are beginning to come to Christ. And we don't know the details. I can imagine that some of those soldiers, they go back to the barracks in the Praetorian Guard, the elite Roman t- troops, and they're talking about Jesus. And they're talking about what they heard from Paul. What do you think about that? Well, I don't know. Uh, this is what I think. Well, have you considered this? And these discussions continue. And this message gets broadcast. This was uh, God's purpose. By the way, when you think about it, Roman soldiers traveled throughout the Roman Empire. Romans Road were built to get the armies out fast. Um, the gospel was spread in the first century by Roman soldiers. The, the, the first people to go to England, to go to the British Isles, to bring the message of the gospel were Roman soldiers. I wonder if there was any connection back to when Paul was here in prison. God used Paul's chains to accomplish his purpose. Prison was Paul's platform for the gospel. Soldier after soldier. And one of the things I think we can take away from this is that sometimes God uses chains to carry out his will. Sometimes God uses chains. Sometimes God uses our limitations to accomplish his will, to work through our chains, what imprisons us or keeps us from being what we think we want to be or should do. God places chains or limitations. 
And what chains have you experienced? What limitations have been placed on your life under the authority of God? Sometimes it's health issues. Sometimes it's job issues. Sometimes there are financial issues. And, there, and we, get on, we have difficult circumstances. And yet somehow God can use those for his good. Uh, what hardships have you faced? And has God used any of these to bring about good in your life? Can you look back and see how God has worked good, even though you didn't like it and even though it was uncomfortable, yet God still worked good through it? So what was God's purpose for Paul's circumstances? Well, verse 14, to motivate others to gospel action. Look at 14. And, he, and Paul writes, And because of my chains, my limitations, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare uh, all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Because Paul was in prison, because uh, Paul, because of uh, Paul's attitude, he's having an impact on other people in the city of Rome, other Christ followers. Paul never gave up. Paul had a can-do attitude um, because of his love for Christ. Other believers in the city of Rome also became bold, just like Paul. We need to get out there and share because Paul is limited. He is in chains right now, and we need to come alongside to advance um, the gospel, to share Christ, to explain the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection. Because Paul was bold and fearless about the gospel, many others became bold and fearless also. That's what happens when someone displays courage in a difficult situation. One by one, friends and family members and neighbors of people in the city of Rome were hearing the gospel, and many were coming to faith in Christ. Let's uh, just ask the question, why is gospel advancement so important? I think, I think probably most of you could give a really good answer for that, but let's just be reminded together, okay? Thank you. Um, why is the gospel advancement, advancement so important? Well, First, because it's the first priority. 1 Corinthians 15, this was the Apostle Paul. In verses 1 through 4, he says, Now, brothers and sisters, I, I want to remind you of the gospel, the good news I preached to you, which you received uh, by faith, and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Next slide. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of, as of first importance. This is central. This is the foundation to Christianity. There is no Christianity without this message. It is of first importance. Should it be first importance in our life also? So what is this gospel? 
that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised, and on the, he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. So why is the gospel so important? Because it's our first priority. Also because Jesus commanded it, Matthew 28, 19 and 20, Jesus said, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. And that included uh, evangelism, sharing the good news, and then teaching them to obey everything that Jesus commanded, having them being baptized. This is what Jesus commanded for his followers. Why is the gospel so important? Well, another reason is, is because without the gospel of Christ, people are eternally condemned to hell. Please be reminded of that. We are in a business of life and death. It's God's business. And we have a responsibility and we have a message. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 6 through 9, the Apostle Paul writes, God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in, the bla in blazing fire with his powerful angels. This is the second coming. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with an everlasting destruction. I didn't plan this. I didn't pick this. This, this is what God has told us. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. Next slide. Um, that, is the, that is first sign. Thank you. Um, so, this is what Jesus called hell. We ought not take this message for granted. We ought to be careful not to get caught up with our own broken toy truck. So God did use difficult circumstances to advance his purposes in the gospel. Next, uh, God uses difficult circumstances to test our motives. This is what Paul observed and what he experienced. Um, we see wrong motives in verses 15 and verse 17. Now, this is kind of petty, but watch what happens here, verse 15. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy or, and, or strife, uh, or envy and rivalry. Now, that's hard to get how people would preach Christ, but they would have this attitude of envy or rivalry. Well, apparently there was a group in Rome that were competitive with Paul. They were kind of glad that Paul was set aside because now they have a chance to catch up. Now they have a chance to... Um, show Paul up and to have a little bit of one-upmanship on who's winning the most people to Christ, who's getting the most attention. Um, there's a rivalry going on. And um, so they may even see Paul's imprisonment as, as God's disappointment with Paul. And so there is this group that has this wrong motive. 
Verse 17, the former preached Christ out of selfish ambition. It's, it's selfish, it's ambition, it's, it's about promoting their own uh, career or whatever. Not sincerely, supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. That's the third time he's mentioned he's in chains, by the way. Difficult circumstances. Limited, his limitations on his life. This group had the wrong motives. This was about their own career success. And they, they hoped that Paul would be discouraged and, and downcast while he's chained to the Roman soldier about how good these other guys are doing. But then we see there's also a group that have right motives in verses 15 and 16, but others out of goodwill. They want to help out Paul. They have a good heart, a right heart, a right motive. The latter do so out of love, love for Paul, love for Christ, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. They know Paul has a very unique ministry. God has placed Paul to reach a unique demographic. That other Christians are really having a hard time to reach. And they see themselves as team members. Paul's in chains. He's got his ministry there. But we're out here. We have a different ministry. We need to hang together as a team. We'll do our part. Paul's going to do his part. Paul's attitude is tested. His motives are tested as well. Um, you know, Paul could have responded to that group that was competing with him. He could have been angry. He could have been bitter. Uh, he could have been jealous of them. But Paul didn't get caught up in his circumstances. He... he he didn't attack them who were seeking his failure. He kept his focus on the main thing, and that's what we see in verse 18. Um, Chuck Swindoll has a quote here. So words can never adequately con convey the incredible impact of our attitude toward life. The longer I live, he writes, the more convinced I become that life is 10% of what happens to us and 90% of how we respond to it. Now, I don't know if that's 100% accurate or not. I think it's a very helpful um, observation about attitude and about the way we respond to our circumstances. Look at verse 18. Here's how Paul responds to his. But what does it matter, he writes? The important thing is that, that every, in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. That's it. Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, I will continue to rejoice. I find joy in prison. Because Christ is preached. That's the important thing. Um, he found joy in this. That Christ is proclaimed. The good news is preached. The gospel advances. Christ's work moves ahead. And this, this brought the Apostle Paul great joy. Paul didn't look for sympathy 
He found joy. He didn't find joy based on his outer circumstances, but on his inner circumstances. So the question for us is, how can one have joy when life is so hard? I know that a lot of you are in difficult circumstances. Your life is not easy. We could list a number of people who have very hard situations. Um, What enabled Paul to live above his circumstances? What was his focus? A good reminder is to go back to Galatians chapter 5 and verse 16, where he writes, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. To walk by the Spirit, to live by the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, to live by the Holy Spirit and not by uh, self-enablement, not by only resources that come from me. Uh, the, Holy, the Holy Spirit enabled him to overcome his uh, difficult circumstances. He, de- he depended on God's strength, not on his own abilities. He entrusted life to God on a daily basis. He yielded himself to the Holy Spirit. He walked by the power of the Holy Spirit. What was the result? Well, the result, Galatians 5, and 23. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. The outcome of walking and being enabled by the power of the Spirit is to have joy. It it wasn't based on circumstances. It was based on the Holy Spirit. And Paul is modeling that for us. Now, he's not saying life is not hard. He's not saying suck it up and be like me. Well, he's saying focus on Christ. Be like me as I follow Christ. Um, Because life is hard. But our circumstances don't have to drag us down. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, the ability to put up with others because people in the body of Christ have rough edges. They rub you the wrong way sometimes. Especially if you're, you're trying to hang out and trying to do things together that are important. Kindness? How can you be kind? How could be, Paul be kind when... When he was a prisoner, goodness and faithfulness. Paul was a faithful guy. Gentleness and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. That's true freedom. Paul wanted Christ's followers to know that joy comes from the Holy Spirit and that enables us to rise above our circumstances and we can't do it in our own strength, okay? Thirdly, God uses difficult circumstances to bring out the best in us. He uses our limitations, the things going on in our life, the struggles that we face, the hardships to bring out the best in us. So what is the best in us? Good question. What is it? 
Is it your smile? Is it your tenacity, your work ethic, uh, your musical talent, your athletic prowess, your good looks? What is the best in you? Paul writes to the Colossians in chapter 1, verses 25 through 27. He says, I have become its servant, referring to the gospel, by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness the mystery, this is something not revealed in the past, not revealed in the Old Testament, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. This is new. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles, people like the Romans, the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is the best in us. Christ in us. The hope of glory. Um, the danger for us is that we can get caught up in our circumstances and just see that our toy truck is broken and we don't see all that God has given to us and all that he has done for us and the resources that we have. Christ in us. When you placed your faith in Jesus Christ, whether you knew it or not at the time, at that very instance, Christ came to live in you. We might say, by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of Christ came to live in you. And, and He is present within you right now if you are a genuine Christ follower. We come to verse 19. What is our fallback strategy for handling difficult circumstances? Well, our fallback strategy is simple. We must depend on God's resources and not our own, not our own brilliant ideas. We must allow God to work in us and through us, Christ in us, the hope of glory. We need to take action, action to depend on God, not on self, not on human ingenuity, not just relying on our talents and abilities. It's allowing God to use those and to work through us because Christ is in us, the hope of glory. Paul knew how he would get through his hardship. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 19. He says, For I know through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Now, he doesn't say what that del deliverance is going to look like, and he's going to be okay with how God delivers him. But he understands that it's going to be through God's resources, the prayers of God's people, specifically the Philippians, and the Spirit of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit in them and in him, that God uh, is going to turn it out for Paul's rescue. He knew that the only way he could keep going, the only way that he could make it, through all these legal troubles and this imprisonment was to trust 
God's resources. Prayer and provision of the Holy Spirit. Um, one of God's resources, when we go through difficult times, it's not just about, you know, it, it almost sounds like, okay, folks, buck it up. There's a, there's a bit of that, let's get the right focus. But, you know, Scripture tells us to bear one another's burdens. We're, we are to care for each other. We're to be kind to each other. We're to be slow to speak. And we are to bear one another's burdens. We listen. We hear difficult situations that people are going for, going through. We come alongside. We walk with them. We love them. We pray for them. That's, that's a provision that God has given, one of His resources so that God will work through his people. So that God will provide the inner strength and the wisdom that comes from the Holy Spirit. The psalmist gives us a good reminder in Psalm uh, chapter 121, verses 1 and 2. He says, I lift my eyes to the mountain. Where does my help come from? That's really a good question. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Where does my help come from? Where does your help come from? What do, what's your fallback? What, what happens when you hit rough times? What do you do? Is it natural for you to turn to God for help and to ask Him to lead you and to ask, you to prov- ask Him to provide for you, to ask Him to empower you, to ask Him to... For you to know how to handle these circumstances? What's our fallback strategy when we go through a job crisis or a hard semester at school? How do we navigate difficult people? How do we navigate a financial loss or a loss of a loved one? You know, we've had people at the bridge face death in their families or friends. Those are hard things. And there's no promises that we won't experience death or our favorite people won't experience death or hardship. But how are we going to respond? We come to verses 20 and 21. What is our ultimate goal in this life? A really good question. What is your ultimate goal for your life? Ultimate goal. For some, it's happiness. For some, it's success. It's, for some, it's the good life. For some, it's I, I want my kids to be happy. In Philippians chapter 1, verses 21, we close our passage and Uh, we see what Paul says to us. He says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my bother, whether by life or by death. Makes no difference. I might die here in prison. I might be executed tomorrow. My heart's desire is that Christ be exalted, that he be put on display, that people know that I was a genuine Christ follower, that people see what, how Christ responds when he faces death. 
If it's by death, okay. If it's by life, okay. I want people to know I am a Christ follower. I want people to see Christ's love in me, Christ's kindness, Christ's patience. I want people to see joy that happens even when I'm facing a difficult time. That Christ be exalted. Now, eventually, the Apostle Paul will be released from his imprisonment. But later again, four or five years later, he's going to be imprisoned again in Rome. And this time there is no escape. And this time he will face his death. He will be executed by the Roman government. But this was Paul's attitude, verse 21, for me to live is Christ. To die is gain. Um, For Paul to live is Christ. It's to love him. It's to serve him. It's to proclaim the good news about him. It's to trust him one day at a time. Every day. It's to live is Christ. But to die is gain. To die is to end this earthly existence with this beat up physical body and to begin a heavenly existence with Christ in person to no longer be encumbered by pain and heartache and stress and anxiety, but to have God's peace and rest and joy and hope fulfilled. An English writer who visited the U.S. recently commented about American churches. Here's Here's what they said. You Americans are so concerned about being happy, as if our kingdoms were the focal point of God's work rather than God's kingdom being the focal point of ours. What an observation. What is your goal? What is your ultimate goal in life? Is it to be happy? Or to have Christ exalted in you no matter what. Whether life or death. Let's pray together. Father, we just uh, humbly come before you. And we just are reminded again of our need for you. And our need to rely on you. And our need not to take for granted for what you've given for us and what you have for us. And all the inheritance that you have given us with our salvation. We give you praise for your marvelous grace. We recognize that we don't deserve it. God, as we look at life for this week. Help us to rise above our circumstances. May we not get caught up even though some situations are really hard and painful. May our knee-jerk reaction be to ask for help, to turn to you, to get your wisdom, to get your strength, to get clarity that comes from you. May you shine through us as ambassadors for Christ in our daily lives. 
I pray this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.